gang. What's going on? Welcome to this episode of the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Yes, this is where we explore what it takes to create a thriving career in the retail auto industry. I'm your host, Michael Cirillo. Super excited to bring you my guest today. His optimism immediately drew me in. He owns three dealerships. Greg Churchill is my guest today. All right, so first off, I was scrolling through LinkedIn and I saw, I mean, obviously everybody's saying everything these days. A lot of op- opinions, and there's a lot of gurus stepping up, and there's a lot of gurus that have disappeared uh, magically during all of these times. Uh, and you know, of course, I've had my commentary for the podcast listeners, but I thought ultimately it would be really cool to start bringing more dealers on and getting their perspective and learning about you know the opportunities that they're seeing. And and no sooner did I have this thought than I was scrolling through LinkedIn and I saw a post of yours. And I thought, well, this is really unique because not many dealers own uh, dealerships on both sides of the border. Uh, and so I thought, you know, it would be cool to invite you on and you were gracious and you, and you said, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. Um, and so first, thank you for that. But I want to I just kind of dig right in and say, okay, how it, it, has this impacted business different on either side of the border? Well, I think that um, depends on um, more about individual markets than either side of the border. But um, yeah, I mean, our experience, um, you know, has been uh, pretty um, tumultuous on both sides of the border. Um, uh, my uh, U.S. Uh, dealerships in Spokane, it's a Hyundai store. Um, uh, we got caught in the um, the governor um, announced a uh, shelter in place initiative, which effectively shut down our sales department. So not dissimilar to uh, what Ontario and Quebec are facing. Um, it's, they go a little further in that you're also not allowed to um, deliver a vehicle. Um, so you, can, you can pretty much do everything online, but uh, you get to the point where you need to deliver the vehicle, whether that be in a neutral spot or in a customer's driveway. And we're not even allowed to do that right now. Um, so that shelter in place is in in place till um, um, May the fourth. For now, we'll we'll see what happens uh, from there. Um, my other dealerships, uh, one in Alberta, one in BC. Uh, you're both uh, you're able to continue both sales and service in both those jurisdictions. So, um, you know, that being said, you know, um, business is down. Uh, Calgary's probably the worst. Although, you know, if you look at it, there's there was a lot of other things going on in uh, in Alberta. Um, not least, which is the price of oil and the, just the general economy and the, the weather doesn't seem to be helping either. Um, so um, just numbers recently for, um, you know, for Honda in uh, Alberta and, you know, traffic is down uh, in the neighborhood of 85% uh, on new car and uh, sales are down about uh, 80%. And uh, we're certainly uh, mirroring that there. Um, it's not quite as bad out in BC. Um, um, my Kia store is in Victoria, and um, um, I think there was an initial two weeks of sort of shock and awe, where everybody was uh, just wondering what's going on and whether the world's ending. And, and I think we see that changing. I think people are recognizing there, you know, there is a safe way to buy a vehicle um, without endangering them themselves. I think as dealers, we've adapted very rapidly in terms of uh, some of our processes and. Um, um, and I think we're already starting to see a bit of uptick in online activity and uh, actual sales. So, uh, interesting. You know, cautiously optimistic. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's it's very regional, even though, you know, and I think this is interesting that you bring that up because I think a lot of times we see what's on the news and the news is very generalized. Yeah. Right? Like the United States is exploding. Canada's exploding. But then when you get down to what you're saying and it's like, well, it's a little bit different in Alberta than it is in BC. There were other economic factors like the price of oil, um, you know, Canada can't make an oil deal these days if their life depended on it, which is sad, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, But also that you're you're noticing this shift online. And in particular, uh, if I heard you correctly, you're saying that there's still even though things are down, especially in your BC store, there's still some activity happening. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, people are still who are in the market are still um, going through their research phase and, and ultimately you know, once they see that there is, um, you know, they can complete most of the transaction online. Um, we're offering even to, uh, you know, deliver the vehicle, you know, uh, to their house. I mean, it took us a while to, to pivot, but I think we pivoted pretty quickly. And uh, um, now it's really more about getting the message out that, you know, A, that we're open, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of what's open and what's not. And, uh, and B, that we've got a process in, in place that allows them to, uh, to move forward. Now, is this a process that you can do basically leveraging everything that you've got on hand or do you need, I guess where I'm going with this question, and I don't want it to be a leading question, but I mean, obviously we know what's going to happen. We know in this industry, we latch on to buzzwords and buzz topics like uh, nobody's business. And I mean, that's not all yeah. uncommon to other industries, but I know obviously you go on social and it's all digital retail. Yeah those that are like well no it's modern retailing and we have a tool and we're developing a tool and all of a sudden do you think we're headed into a a swamp where it's just going to be like the next nada is just going to be all digital retailing and everybody's going to think that lassos the sun the moon and the stars that's the first question second kind of follow-up to that is were you able to do it without some of those things that you think are coming yeah i mean i think the i think the answer um to the first question is I think we were already going that way. So I think right. the COVID-19 crisis has really just pushed the agenda ahead uh, uh, by a couple of years. We've actually been uh, playing with the digital retailing and had it, um, our own um, uh, home-built uh, tool uh, at my oh, Honda cool. store in Calgary for a couple of years. And uh, you know we, we found it a really effective engagement tool. Um, we'd never really tried to leverage it hard. Um, you know We still kind of approached internet leads like everybody else did in that, um, you know, we, once we could you know, establish a, some contact online, uh, our number one, um, you know, approach was to get them into, into the dealership. And um, I think, you know, now, and I think in the future, it's going to be more about, can we complete as much the transaction online uh, before they come into the dealership or perhaps uh, without coming into the dealership. So, Right. Um, so we did have a, we, we did have a tool. We, we kind of had to, um, um, you know, it, it isn't that robust in that, um, it wasn't able to handle any of the F and I components, but we were able to sort that out real, really quickly. And, um, even in, on our, on my, uh, Kia store, which didn't have a tool, you know, it really became, um, a matter of using what we had, uh, phone, email, text, um, and um, and just walking through everything, getting the customer to send pictures of their trade in to do a trade value, um, 
and uh, and I think on the F and I side, I think we moved rather quickly too. We um, uh, we took advantage of uh, First Canadian has a uh, a portal that allows you to effectively send a menu of F and I products. So we had our uh, financial services managers set up so that they would contact the customer by phone. Uh, they would uh, pre-send them some videos of the products, um, and then they would just walk. And then they would also send them a link, uh, which actually had a pre-set up menu of products with their actual payments on their vehicle, et cetera, with different uh, menu options. So kind of like what how it would happen in the dealership. And uh, you know, literally within seven days, we were doing it that way, and and it's it's been you know quite effective for us. Wow, that's tremendous. And I love what you said about basically identifying the phase of the funnel that these things help with. Like you, you said that it really helped you with engagement. Uh, and I find that fascinating in particular because, you know, as I travel around and I visit with a lot of dealers, many of them kind of have sentiments that always go for kind of the kill, like ask you to marry me on your first introduction kind of a thing. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, low finance, uh, pay, payment 0.9% and we get the wacky waving arm guy out front and all these sorts of things. But I love that you know, you're, you're talking about, Hey, we, we need to engage people here. Um, is that maybe the, the, the strong position that you think dealers should be taking during a time like this? Like, Hey, we got to double down on building relationships. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, um, and if you look at what's happened in Spokane where we're not actually able to uh, deliver vehicles, we kind of, um, you know, we, we kept uh, some of our, our managers on board from a staffing standpoint, just to still handle the, uh, the internet leads and email leads and effectively our notion is just to keep them warm. Um, in some cases, we're able to take a deposit and just defer the uh, delivery. But in other cases, just, you know, stay interactive with the, uh, uh, with the customer, provide additional information. Hey, let's get you a pre-approved um, online, you know, so that we can shorten it when you do come in, et cetera. So, so do you, are you finding, um, there's obviously still a segment of the market that sees the utility of a vehicle. I mean, it, there's always this debate like, ah, nobody's going to be spending, the economy's crashing, everything's falling down around us. There's this kind of other half of the market that I've seen that says, well, like, if this is the zombie apocalypse, then I need a reliable vehicle to get the heck out of Dodge. Yeah. Um, so in that activity that you're seeing, what's kind of the sentiment that you're picking up from customers? Are Are they... Are they a little bit more reluctant to make the purchase? Is it more service based? Is it more end of finance? Like what? What are you are you seeing a trend yet as far as the people that are still engaged in the buying process? Um, pretty tough to say that there's too much of a trend, but I think we 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 tend over and um, you know overgeneralize things. Um, so I think I mean there's there's lots of people who as a result of this are actually uh, working uh, more than ever and making more money than ever. Um, there's a lot of government workers who haven't lost their jobs. Um, there's a lot of people who are retired, and even though it probably hurt their stock portfolio, they're still in a good position. So, um, you know, I, I still think there is uh, that demand. Um, I think there'll be people who are who don't even have a vehicle who may look at uh, buying a vehicle because they don't want to ride in on public transit anymore in the future. So, um, a little bit, you know, a little bit of everything. Obviously, though, um, a combination of the the strong messaging from our government to stay at home. As, you know, as well as just general fear. And, uh, you know, this is the, the proverbial second biggest transaction for anyone. Uh, I think a lot of people are just, you know, want to wait and see till, the, till they see, see a lot more comfortable. Um, you know, that being said, I think there's 
more and more positive news out there and there's more of a sense of uh um you know that there, there'll be some normalcy returning so i think for a lot of people will be you know getting back into the market who perhaps delay their purchase yeah i'm i'm with you there i was actually having this conversation with one of my team members uh earlier today and i said look there there's I mean, as human beings, we always adopt this kind of absolute mindset like, oh, my, I have a sore throat, so I absolutely have COVID-19. You know, the, yeah. that's, there's tons of people out there and no, it's actually you just have hay fever and it's the spring. Sorry. You know, it's that sort of a thing. And, and I really enjoy your kind of outlook on this, especially in bringing up like uh, 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 different market segments. Hey, instead of focusing on everybody that has lost their job. We're still working at an limited in a limited capacity. Why not focus on those that still have their job and perhaps are making more money than they've ever made because they're now having to work more hours and all these sorts of things? Civil servants, nurses, doctors, healthcare practitioners, all these sorts of things, government workers. So I love that, and I love that um, you know you're you're generally pointing out here at least what I've taken notes of is that you in order to be effective at business you have to focus on different consumer segments. You can't pile everybody into people who purchase vehicles. Um, and so that's that's really interesting that you bring that up because not a lot of conversations tend to surround that. But but because because that's on your mind, you're able to then position your marketing and your your messaging in a way that's able to you know find those people uh, and and with a message that's relevant to them. Maybe maybe they're not going to be as receptive to you know, picture price advertising, maybe they need a little bit more of a compelling reason, or maybe you just need to figure out what their needs are a little bit more specifically, but they're still out there. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I wanted to ask you about the, uh, first of all, I mean, you, you've, you're a seasoned vet. How long have you been in the industry now? Um, well, I've been, um, working in, uh, um, car dealerships uh, directly um, as an employee for about 22 years, but over 30 years in the industry. Wow. So, so you, you I mean, of course, you'd remember the, the volatility of the 80s. Yeah. Interest Very rates much. at, you know, whatever they were, 32, but 28.7% or whatever they were. And unemployment was, you know, in the double digits and, you know, ridiculous. So you made it through that in this industry. You made it through. Yeah. Uh, you made it through the uncertainty. I, I mean, all the terror attacks and terror attempts of the 90s, the early 2000s, and all of the volatility of that. And you made it through the crash of 08, 09. Moving into this situation, what, what are maybe some of the lessons you've taken from all of those past experiences in this industry that have helped you or maybe helped you position better for what's going on right now? A good question. I mean, this is certainly unprecedented. I mean, um, you know, the the downturns we've seen previously uh, are certainly nothing like this. But um, you know, I think um, just sort of that long term view that you know this too shall pass. And uh, um, you know, the um, you know we've um, you know we were uh, in in a little bit of terror. I think the first uh, seven to fourteen days of this, and and just all that level of of uncertainty, but, you know, once we started to take a look at our organizations, stress test them, you know, the, the nice thing about this industry is it is incredibly adaptable. Um, you know, a lot for good, you know, for good, good and bad. Um, a lot of our costs are tied up in, uh, uh, in people. So unfortunately we've had to, um, you know, lay off, uh, 
uh, a fair number of people, but that it did, did allow us to get our expenses uh, back in a check fairly quickly. Um, yeah. You know, so there's, there's a lot of variable expense in this industry, um, you know, beyond, you know, I mean, rent's your big fixed one, but, um, you know, and then, um, and we were able to aggressively, you know, reduce advertising. Uh, suppliers have been very good. I, I you know, I was, I was amazed how, how many of our uh, suppliers stepped up and offered discounts, uh, et cetera, right across the industry. And that, you know, that really let us, um, allowed us to, to get in, in, in a position of, to weather this really well. Do you think that's maybe because you're right? I mean, the, the, the downturns in the past weren't hinged on or predicated upon a global health crisis. I've been thinking about this, and I'm, I'm curious on your take. I feel like because what we're experiencing is due to a, a pandemic, um, do you think that's introduced a little bit more humanity into the mix? Like more, more people are willing to cheer each other on. The, the, I'm already sensing a softer tone in the dealer's vendor relationship. Like vendors have stepped up. Oh, maybe maybe they're not all, <laughs> you know, scumbags. And 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 on the flip side of that, front facing, a lot of dealers have stepped up and are helping in their communities yeah. and delivering face masks and. Uh, meals on wheels and letting you know or different nonprofits uh utilize vehicles to deliver and do all these sorts of things so what what's your take on that what are you seeing out there yeah i mean i think and if you look at some of the the um you know the uh, the previous downturns there's been winners and losers and perhaps there's even been villains when if you look at the 2009 crisis the whole uh the whole notion of the um you know the uh, the banks in the U.S. certainly, right. uh, as well as all of the the big financial houses in in the U.S. getting bailed out, et cetera, and they were the real villain. Um, but you know, uh, there's uh, there, really there's only losers in in this for the most part. And uh, so I think from that standpoint, there's a we're all in this together aspect. Um, I think the other thing is that you know there were structural issues with our economy when those other things happened, and they're really. You know, you can make that argument, I suppose, but that's not that's not what caused this. So I think there's also a little bit more optimism that things can, you know, bounce back to a little bit more normalcy. I don't think we're going to make up the sales we lose over the next ninety days, um, but I, you know, I, I do envision, you know, and getting back to close to where we were before. You know, if, even if we call that September, um, that may be my my set my forecast that I did in uh, January for what September's going to look like. Maybe not that different uh, sure. from reality. I, <laughs> I think there's going to be, see, we're doing social distancing right now, but there's all those homeschooling moms out there right now. Yeah. We're going to be doing family distancing when we can leave our houses yeah. and people that maybe didn't take a date night to the car dealership are probably going to just take a date night to the car because they have to just go and, and yeah. explore the world. And, and you're right. I think, I think because, well, I mean, I've been, my, my wife and I, as maybe a bit of a game, have played uh, this this little financial stress test where, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I, I took out of my business, I just put a couple hundred bucks in my, my personal checking account. And that $200 is still there yeah. because what do you do? And But I think it's highlighted, wow, um, we can sustain and and things will be okay um but boy oh boy if you're a social person and you have a group of friends who are all social and and whatnot like i i foresee 
a big boom. And maybe it's not going to be a 90 day replacement of what was lost, but it's definitely, I think, you know, like we've seen in other downturns, it goes down and there's going to be all those doom and gloom reports. Oh, there's now going to be a surplus of used vehicles because all the auctions are closed and and then that's going to contribute to this and that's going to be a snowball. I, I think, I think as I've experienced going through, you know, other market downturns, and flirting with insolvency and wondering, oh man, like how, how is this going to work? I the, the strength that I pulled from those, um, I think, contribute to this this optimism that I feel that not only are we going to make it through this, but there's going to be some crazy innovation coming out of this as well. There are a ton of opportunities that they, these things produce, and I mean, if if we're all business people, and the premise of being a business person is to solve problems. Well, guess what, guys? We've just been given a, a huge problem to solve. We shouldn't be shocked that we have to now solve these problems. We should be excited at the fact that there's opportunity. So I guess in, in just slowly winding down the conversation, what opportunities do you see that what, – what kinds of thoughts have been exciting you as you're navigating all of this that you are looking forward to either implementing – I mean, you don't have to divulge uh, trade right. secrets, obviously, but but I mean, you know, as entrepreneurs, I think our minds are constantly moving on. Hey, there's opportunity, and and here's some of the things that excite me. Well, I mean, I, I think we've we've looked at it, you know, tr- you know, try to be as positive as as we can. So, uh, and certainly a lot of thoughts around this. But I think as we rapidly, um, um, you know. Uh, de-expensed our businesses uh, in in light of what happened here. I think it really taught us what's really important, what vendor relationships are absolutely critical, and what were which ones were 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 kind of nice to have, but maybe you know uh, maybe not yeah. beneficial in the long run. Um, I think the other thing is around the uh, in in the digital realm. I think it's also um, you know made us realize maybe it isn't that difficult um, to do a lot of the transactions. So I think even if we push it. Um, a small part of it um, online, um, and, and ultimately there might be some some longer term benefits. We're having a conversation around, you know, our whole structure of how, um, you know, we operate is really hasn't changed that much from the standpoint. We've got individual salespeople who run individual commissions. It, it's it, you know we we force the customer to see a lot of different people in the transaction. It's it's very inefficient from our use of human capital as well. So we're looking at, you know, is, it, is there maybe more of a team approach uh, where we could be more um, effective that way? And particularly if, you know, even if it's not 100%, if it's 90% of the track transactions online um, and we can be just as effective as if the customers, is, is, you know, had come in, I, I, th- I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's a competitive advantage. And, you know, that was already happening. There's, you know, there's a lot of successful dealers in the U.S. and certainly the Carvana example. Um, you can say what you will about their uh, long-term prospects because they're, of their inability to make money, but they certainly have sold a lot of cars. And uh, sure. so, uh, you know, I don't think that's a technology-related issue with them. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, you know I, I, and I think what this has done is force us to look at those things where, you know, I think previously it was, you know, why change it? Um, and uh, I think the other thing we, we've taken advantage of is, you know, we've got downtime. We still have uh, people at work. So uh, let's uh, sharpen the saw. So really focused on training. There's a lot of companies that come out with free training. So, you know, we've always got an excuse why we, why we uh, don't have time 
to do training. So the excuses are off the table. So, you know, I want us to yeah. come out of this, um, you know, with my management team, um, a lot more knowledgeable and, you know, looking at business in a different way. Yeah, So powerful. Um, I think along those lines, a lot of people, well, it's like anything when, when times are good, it's more difficult for us to see what wasn't working or maybe that we didn't need some of those nice to haves. And so I love what you're saying about this is highlighted what actually matters most to us and what matters most to our operation. And I, you know, I think it's just a true sign of, of your leadership on the, the importance you're putting on, uh, around sharpening the saw. Cause so few, so few are thinking that way. They're going, Oh man, what are we going to do? And how do I make more money? Well, this is a massive opportunity that's been given to you to figure out how to do that when we return to some state of, of normalcy. Um, I also I, I like that you brought up Carvana because you're right. They're there's it's a mixed bag. They did sell a lot of cars. What excites me about something like Carvana is that I'm not having to spend the money to determine whether or not there is viability in that type of offering. And so thank you, Carvana. <laughs> Hashtag not sponsored, but thank you, Carvana, for doing all of doing all of that legwork for us. Because ultimately, they're going to figure out um, how that machine will really tick and how it's going to get profitable. And we get to sit here and go, oh, cool. Well, I don't need to spend the kind of money and I don't need to be as leveraged as they have had to be to figure this out. So thanks for paving the, paving the, the way for us. Um, but this is, this is the time. People should be exploring all of these options and determining. I, I remember back in the day, back in my college days, how cool of me that I sold appliances at Leon's furniture uh going to going to college but I remember I remember this was around the boom of front loading everything and and LG had front load washer and dryer and and Maytag had front load and Kenmore and all these different brands and it was like a year or two later that uh GE came out with their front loads and I'm like dude you're late to the game what is your deal who cares? This has been a thing for quite a, quite some time. And he goes, well, here's the thing. Let me show you everything that we observed that our competitors did wrong and that we improved in our design. And I was like, ah, interesting. You know, you, you know, you know the, the, that's an interesting point. If you take a look at a lot of other industries, that's also very true. So, you know, really Napster paved the way for iTunes. Uh, Napster doesn't right. exist anymore. I mean, I, I think you can go through, I, I, you know, I've seen stuff where you, you can talk about technology after technology, um, you know, uh, you know, that has happened where the, the first player in ultimately wasn't successful. Somebody came in, you know, after they'd spent all the dough, uh, refined the process and, you know, ultimately were successful. And I think as dealers, we need to, uh, we need to learn those, you know, uh, those lessons that maybe Carvana is teaching us. And, uh, you know, to, I guess I think to a certain extent, you could, you could say Tesla as well in terms of their online selling model. Um, yeah. you know, there's more to that conversation around what they're selling, et cetera. But, um, but yeah. Um, and paying attention to how they're, how they're marketing. Like what did they yeah. do to build enough awareness? I think Carvana, the last time I checked, I think their 2019 number was like 177,000 units or yeah. 180,000 units, something like that. I'm, I'm not so much interested in breaking apart the business model at this point. I'm interested to see, what did they do to effectively market to 177,000 people who were willing to do this entire process? So I guess my last question for you is, 
what has the what's the response been from from the OEM uh, perspective as far as relationship with dealers? Do you think that there's going to be some regulatory shifts coming out of this? Do you think they're going to ease up on, you know, like you look at Ontario and it's like, okay, well, and this isn't really the OEM, it's more OMVIC, but they're saying, yeah, you can sign paperwork digitally yeah. now and you couldn't do that before. Do you think those types of things are going to stick after all of this is done? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think they're all the OEMs are looking at this. Um, you know, we, depending on what OEM you're dealing with, I think there's a different response. And, uh, you know, I think for some OEMs, they're looking at it more from the standpoint of, you know, how do we control that customer's journey and path? And, uh, you know, once we handle the lead, uh, move that to the dealership. Um, and there's others that are, you know, looking at it, I think more like the dealers are looking at it in terms of, you know, uh, if the dealerships have the technology, they've got the ability so they can, you know, um, uh, they can handle that process them themselves, but uh, sure. it, it's certainly on, uh, on on the agenda of all the OEMs. Greg, man, thank you so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook. Uh, just a couple last questions for you. Two two last questions. First, um, Honda and Hyundai. How in the world do you choose between two really awesome SUVs? You've got the Palisade on one <laughs> side. Like, how, how does this even work? How do, how do you not? feel like you're always torn between two children that you love <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, three because i've got my my uh storm victoria's kia so oh right uh, but, yeah you, there yeah. you go so, yeah. so so you've got you've basically you've got the palisade and then you've got the eager you've got the eager slightly younger sibling in the in the uh, uh sir what is it they uh tell you ride tell you ride yeah Right? How how do you decide? And then Honda's just kind of like the wise older sibling that moved out before the other two were born. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say politically correct and say that, say they're all all great vehicles. So <laughs> I've driven them all, and uh, I'll leave it at that. Awesome. The second thing I'm I'm actually quite envious because it looks like there are no children who confiscated your home office, so you, you don't have to no. record this from your master bedroom. <laughs> exactly. Right on, Greg. Thank you so much for joining me on the DPB. How can uh, those listening connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way. I'm fairly active on that, even more so uh, with what's happening, just trying to get understand uh, what others are going through and any ideas I can pick up there. So um, yeah, that's that's the easiest way to reach, reach me for sure. Brilliant. We'll link you up in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Okay, thanks.